Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Pisgah Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Drew. That's Mangler, and you're listening to Pisgah. We're coming to you live from the patio at El Ranchero. I think I'm three baskets deep of chips and salsa right now. We should probably get some guac for the table, right? So, news and bullet points for this week. Uh, This past weekend, we had the World Cup downhill in Leo Gang. And we had some Western North Carolina regional folks. Uh, had Dakota Norton in ninth place. Uh, Lucas Shaw came in at 26th. Uh, in the junior men's category, we had uh, Mr. Chris Grice coming in at seventh place. Nico, well, looks like he had a mechanical and didn't qualify. So that's definitely a bummer to hear. Yeah, it's a bummer, but qualifying times are super tight. Um, actually, I just pulled up the list right here. And if you look at, say, let's look at 26th place through 51st place, we're talking about four seconds. So wow. They were super tight all day, and, uh, you know, it's hard to say where you're going to fall in, in, in slots that tight, especially in the conditions that they had to qualify in. Yeah, that's true. The conditions were pretty spicy. But, you know, at least it came back around for, uh, for, for race day. Yes, exactly. Well, speaking of qualifying times, how were your activities over this past week? Uh, I I did stay off of wet trail. I'm still a little bit timid with uh, my shoulder injury, but uh, I did get in and on the dirty river on Sunday and and did a float and paddle with my wife and a pal of mine, and uh, it was cool. It was a fun day. Uh, We got out kind of later in the day, so it wasn't as crowded, and uh, uh, my shoulder let me know that... uh, it was happy I used it. It's still telling me right now. Yeah, we definitely had some heavy rain showers over the weekend, especially down my way Saturday evening. But surprisingly enough, Canuga was riding a really good Sunday afternoon. I went and met up with Christian Jackson and his family, did a couple of laps, and then um, you know also did some hiking this week. I've been trying to ride a little bit every day, maybe not big rides, but just keeping the, uh, keeping the legs going. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Well, uh, let's get right into this week's interview. Yeah, for this week, we've got John Murphy with Gulo Composites. Uh, Gulo is a carbon fiber composite wheel company based down in Brevard. And I sat down with John this week to catch up and get the lowdown on some fancy carbon wheels. Probably start hammering in bearings as soon as you start recording. Yep, we'll work around it. You're in the wheelhouse, so, you know, it just adds its effect. John, dude, it's been a minute since we've hung out, so good to see you. You too, Mangler. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, so thanks for doing this. Your career has kind of made a big transition. Kind of introduce yourself to our listeners and give us a little background on, on John Murphy. Hi, I'm John Murphy. Um, I've been uh, a professional bike racer for the most of my life, actually. Uh, well, I'm a professional for about 15 years, and I've been racing bikes for most of my life. Uh, I started racing when I was 12, and now I'm 36. So I don't want to do the math on that, but yeah, I've been riding bikes for a long time. I started off racing as a junior when I was 12, mountain biking. Mm-hmm. So my, my first love in cycling was mountain biking. Yeah. Um, and when I was 18, I kind of transitioned over to road due to uh, 
support sponsors it was just it was a tough tough market on the mountain bike side to get any help yeah, whether so, so you were 18 this was 2002 ish yeah something about that yeah so, like you know 2002 2003 i had been training on the road a little bit so i had gotten a road bike and i had done a little bit of road racing enough like cat five cat four cat three cat two so i was like a cat two on the road just just to fill in gaps in race schedule i would do yeah. some road racing and i was you know i was a mountain biker so you know as a road racer now looking back how i was i was just like you know a bull just, yeah. just i had motor and no tactics so yeah. whatever i did i just was always off the front solo mm -hmm. and just you know beating myself up yeah when did you kind of make the switch to like the cat one pro stuff 2003 i was the year that I basically moved from mountain to road, focused on the road as a cat two. I'd got picked up on crystals, which is a, um, road team in Chattanooga, Tennessee. A good friend of mine kind of referred me to that group, that team. They had a mountain bike and a road team, but they only had to spot open on the roadside. So, mm. so I, I kind of like, made it a little easier to make that decision. Yeah. It wasn't, I didn't get to make a decision. It was that, <laughs> or I would, you know, stop because yeah. you know, I wasn't going to be supported by my parents anymore as a racer. Because, you know, you know how that goes. Yeah. But so I winded up joining the team and racing on the road and going from a Cat 2 to a 1 pretty quick because it was a good team. I had good support and I was able to, you know, get those results and those points. You know, you had to collect points all year. And then my main goal was to get the attention of the national team, under 23 national team, and go try to race in Belgium with those guys. I was friends with Saul Raisin, who is a, uh, another Georgia boy. And he was already racing on the national team. So he kind of helped assist me with the directors and the managers over there to get me over there. I was, I finally got an invite to go over there in the spring of 2004. Okay. That same year, I kind of had a weird pro contract with Jittery Joes. I was technically on the pro team, but I had an amateur team that was like considered like a grassroots development team, like kind of a feeder team that I raced for 90% of the time. So I was able to race all year. Okay. Um, and then make little jumps, jump ups with Jittery Joes. Ah. So I did like tour of Georgia. I did uh, a couple other smaller crits. I did the pro crit, did some pretty cool races with them too. So it was a really good opportunity for me as a, you know, when I was 20 years old and getting to race like some pretty cool, huge events in the U S yeah. And you weren't just sticking to a season. You had just like all year, nothing but bikes. Yeah. Yep. It was, it was just every race I could find, I was going, going and doing it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Prize money was good. And it was able to like, you know, kind of almost consider living off of it. And then, uh, the next year I went full-time with the national team. And so national team, 2005 national team, 2006, uh, they always recommended us to not join a pro team or a continental team because the amount, the, the type of races that we could get into in Europe were not as available because, if you have if you have a contract something called with contract then you're excluded from like a lot of the smaller level races that you as a younger rider you want to be able to do Ooh. i don't know if that's the same anymore but that's how it was you know in the early 2000s so there's some there's some strategy to making your ranks up through pro cycling especially going over to europe as an yeah. under 23 and like i said i don't know if that's the same anymore mm -hmm. i don't know if i would recommend doing the same to any young riders i think i might i mean i learned a lot of racing in europe but i learned a lot racing on the you know smaller domestic pro teams that I was on as well. So there's advantages to both sides. In the end, I think I probably would have just 
maybe sign a, 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 for a U.S. team that would like take me to some big U.S. races so I could have had that like, you know, learning how to win races a little more. Whereas when you go to race in Europe, you just learned how to survive. So I don't know. I don't know if it was the right path or not, but I didn't sign my first professional contract till 2007. Okay. Um, and that's when I aged out of under 23. So I was like free to sign a contract, sort of. Sort you of, know? yeah. So like, at that point, I was like, okay, I'm going to go race for a team in the U.S., which I was lucky enough to get on HealthNet, which was a big team at the time as a development rider. And, uh, you know, I got to be teammates with Tim Johnson, Carl Menzies, uh, Roy Sutherland, a bunch of, you know, hitters that I respected and was really psyched to just learn from. And, yeah, that kind of impacted my career in a big way because they're good guys. We had a lot of fun, and I was like, oh, yeah, we can – if we can actually, you know, make a decent living doing this, this is awesome. This could be a lot of fun. And it was a big team. A lot of guys were getting paid, like, decent money. So I was like, I will earn into this. Let's do it. Right on. So that was sort of like my first year. And then I kind of just, you know, never let up till last year. Yeah. So talk to me about, you know, hanging it up, so to speak. Yeah. You know, COVID kind of made it easy because everything got... Everything got canceled. Screwy. Yeah. yeah. Everything got canceled and all the uncertainty, especially for us. I mean, I trained hard all winter. was ready for what um, in my head would could could possibly potentially be the last my last year racing. Uh, I was at the end of my contract, and I've got two kids at home. You know, I like being home. Like, the, traveling to Europe, like, multiple times a year it gets harder and harder as you get older. Yeah. Not that the actual travel is hard, but just time being away. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just... It, it just seems like the older you get naturally, it just starts to wear on you. Yeah. Even though you have fun, it's still, you know, it's just not easy to spend, spend your life in a suitcase in a hotel room. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. I was already like in my head thinking I would make one last, like, you know, good year and then probably stop. And then COVID hit and it was like, what are you going to do? Yeah. Like you can't come back from that. I wasn't going to be able to come back from that. And instantly I knew like the difference in, being at home with kids where there's, we had no more help. We had no, I'm not going to sit here and say like, I didn't enjoy my time with my kids, you know, no babysitters, no, no childcare or all that got shut down. Right. Mm -hmm. As soon as COVID hit. So, you know, when you're home, home with kids and there's no help, it's not like you can spend all your time training. Whereas I know a lot of my teammates and competitors were like, they just went balls to the walls training. Yeah. Cause I mean, at least in the U S you could be outside. I know there are some countries that wouldn't let you go outside, Spain, other places. But, you know, here, I know a lot of people have got to spend a lot more time on their bike. But for me, it was like the exact opposite because I was, you know, taking care of the kids. And yeah. my wife, Allie, was working a ton. So it, it just made sense to, you know, essentially call it, a, call it a career. How do you feel about your last year on the bike? Well, we can't count last year, right? So then it'd be 2019. 2019, your last year on the bike is... Yeah, it was not a, a great year performance-wise. And a lot, there were a lot of factors. Like, we, you know, with rally cycling, we were racing in Europe. And it was almost exclusively in Europe. Uh, I think the only race we did in the U.S. was Nationals. Okay. Um, so I didn't do California. The racing in Europe is just, I mean, everybody talks about how hard it is. It's crazy, ridiculously hard. And as a sprinter, it's even harder because so few races actually end up in a field sprint. I mean, there's a lot of sprints, right? But you see them when there's like a 40-person group. At the end, that is tiny. That's yeah. a reduced group. And for me, I wasn't making those groups. So, you know, in my head, I always should be. So it was hard mentally to be, you know, getting dropped or you know, just barely not making it. 
yeah. and then and therefore not being able to do my job as a sprinter and win races. Mm-hmm. So it was mentally tough, and that that kind of helped you know fuel my okay maybe this is my time because if I can't be competitive and win, that's the only reason why I do it. Like I love I just love to win. Yeah. So as soon as that was kind of like looking more and more bleak as as the year went on and I wasn't winning, I was like, I mean. Also, if I can help the team win, that's another thing too. But if I'm not there to do a lead out or help in the finish, then yeah, I was just like, why am I, why am I spending my life <laughs> yeah. not winning? Mm-hmm. So what do you feel like your golden year was? 2017. Oh, so I was going to say, I was thinking like 16 or 17 was kind of your golden year. Cause so it was like, I would say my, my, my best years of my racing career was 15, 16, 17. What and year did you win, win Twilight? 17 17 that's what i was thinking yeah yeah and 18 oh you, you did got got it i did i won it two in a row which was amazing um, has anyone done that uh holloway might have daniel holloway may okay. have i don't know if he won it two in a row or not but yes yeah, so 15 16 17 were i think on paper my best years also in conjunction is when we were we had alley's bar going yep. so i had the best nutrition on the bike and training yeah. Um, so you know i can't help but correlate it all to to my to my diet mm-hmm. and what i was eating while i was racing and training so it just like i just could never get back to that same level and i think that was why i was doing all this all the same 100 alley bars I, I think that was a big part of it i mean there was there was just such good fuel yeah you know it's and it's when you take a big key element like that out and because we shut it down at the end of 2017 mm-hmm. you know i couldn't there was nothing else i don't know there wasn't a lot of products that i was able to like my fuel just was a little bit sacrificed yeah. after that 17 was my best year and it was funny because i didn't ride all winter really? i, I kind of went against the uh <laughs> i kind of broke all the rules and i was focusing on alley's bar trying to trying to really grow it as a company because that's what i that's what i saw as my future yeah and i i put all my eggs in that basket and there was a moment where i even like almost you know gave up my spot on hincappy because i was like you know, if I'm not training, what good am I going to be? Yeah. Let's take it back. Tell us about Allie Bars. My wife, Allie, mm-hmm. is, a, is a very good cook, right? So she loves, she loves to create in the kitchen. And to make a long story short, she started making us ride food because she was also a professional cyclist. So she started making the ride food because she didn't, just didn't love, you know, what the, we, the what, options that were out the there. The options that we had. Yeah, exactly. So she started making them by hand in our kitchen and they were amazing. They were so good that I never hardly got a hold of very many of them because she was always giving them to her friends. And if you know Allie, you know she's always handing them out. And so she took them to our training camps. Everybody loved them. We had some some support from people we knew that wanted to help invest and grow the company. So we were able to kind of like move maybe a little bit too quickly into manufacturing and we were able to produce that, you know, enough bars to, I was able to eat them at that point. And the talk about manufacturing and the whole process of like lining all that up is a whole other podcast. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there was the Allie's bar story is definitely if there's, there was a lot going on. Yeah. So we winded up shutting it down in the 2017 because of our, we had issues in the, on the manufacturing side with quality control and we couldn't, and we couldn't overcome it. Yeah. Um, not without wasting a ton more money. So it was heartbreaking, but sometimes you just have to make the right choice. I think I nursed an expired box of Allie's Bar for as long as I could after you guys stopped making them. You know, and they were 
probably just fine for a long time after the expiration because dates dates are a natural preservative. Yeah. But yeah, that's what Allie told me. She's like, just keep eating them, dude. Like, and, then, and as long as they don't get hot, right? That's yeah. like the big thing. And the packaging stays intact. Mm-hmm. One of the the big learning facts I have is that the you have to put an expiration date on stuff, even if it's going to last much longer. So yeah. And and the longer you make your expiration date, the more expensive your testing costs. So it's like essentially you just put a a 12 month stamp on it because that's all really it should go for. Yeah. That's all you needed to go for. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, it could probably go maybe 24 or 48 months. Yeah. Who knows? But why, why would you test that far if you don't need to? Yeah. So anyways, they're probably still fine. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So it was just, that was a big, the biggest determining factor for me, I think. Yeah. Was the nutrition on the, on the bike. Cause like so many people like don't value the nutrition that you need to get when you're on a bike. And when it's someone like your wife, Allie, who understands exactly and, you know, she basically made bars to cater to you guys and, you know, especially you specifically, you know, she knew your diet, she knew what worked and she made a a kick-ass bar and you, you won races with it. And she, yeah, she was tired of me going out for, you know, four and five, six hour rides and only eating like a few bars because yeah. You know, if you don't really want to eat it, chances are you won't. Yeah. And that was the difference with, with what we were doing is that I actually really wanted to eat the Allie's bar. I mean, mm-hmm. they were, it was almost a habit I got into where I'd roll out the door and just immediately open one up. I mean, it's like, what? You don't, why would I don't you need who, this who yet? Eats a bar right away. Yeah. But that's what I was doing. And then it was like, it was just like, I had endless energy mm-hmm. and the good kind of energy. So we learned a lot and I have a lot to, uh, to credit to our Allie's bar experience for sure, mm-hmm. especially in the racing. Cause you know, no one else, not many other teams had Allie's bar. So I think that was my leg up. Absolutely. All right. So Allie bar shuts down in a 2017, you know, direct reflection kind of on your results and your riding experience. Then COVID hits, uh, you spend a year home, you know, just straight up rocking family life and enjoying it. And then now you and I are sitting in the wheelhouse of Gulo Composites. How did you end up here? Yeah, so during COVID, the COVID madness, let's call it, you know, Allie Allie was even busier than she was pre-COVID, not necessarily because of COVID, but because um, of the person that she is. She's just a crusher. Yeah. Like, she can't say no, she can't say no to work. Like she, she just, she loves to work. I mean, it's like, she just, she kills it. So her employer is, is Koya and they make plant powders. Yeah. Started with kale and spinach and uh, I think, uh, kale, spinach and raspberry were their, their main flavors in the beginning. And now they've got over a dozen, Mm -hmm. um, they've got like dragon fruit, mango, banana, celery. They just launched a cucumber powder, which is incredible. Okay. And it's all, you know, really, really great tasting, really fine powders. Like it's not the clumpy stuff you see in the stores sometimes. Yeah. And it's all single ingredient tubs. Um, and she runs all their Google ads and does all their, their paid, paid search and their website, like, uh, you know, SEO type mm-hmm. work and their social media. So when she was learning and doing all of her Google ads classes, I was like, oh, yeah, that, that's uh, that's going to be a winner. Yeah. I'm like, you know, keep it up. That's yeah. great. And she'd constantly, you know, fill me in on what she's learning. And, and one thing I kept saying over and over again is that it makes sense. Yeah, that's, that's totally logical. Like, I understand that. These tactics are like pretty straightforward. Like, 
yeah, this is a great career path for you to like, Mm -hmm. or not necessarily a career path because her career is with with Koya, but it's a great, you know, way for her to position herself and be valuable if, if, uh, you know, she ever needs to find a find a new job. So I was, I started learning too over COVID. I started taking Google ads classes at home. Um, while I was riding the the trainer, I would be either watching, mostly watching online classes and just, just soaking up as much as I could being able to like, you know, like kind of be help her, not help her, but she could like guide me through what she was doing. Yeah. I could like kind of firsthand see how, how she could create like, you know, a good ad spend and a good return on ad spend and like, you know, where it mattered and where it didn't and what worked and what didn't. And so, yeah, I was like, I, I would love to just, just to go deep into that. that sounds like a, a, a great future, especially like working from home, like COVID made, uh, our, our family realized how awesome working remote is. Yeah. Cause then, you know, you can keep doing it when things shut down. Yeah. So, uh, I started learning a lot about Google ads and Facebook ads and, you know, working with Allie and her stuff. And we started to like, you know, by the, the last, uh, quarter of the year, we started to kind of bring up, like talk to potential clients that I could help with their, uh, digital marketing paid search, things like that. Mm-hmm. Google ads, mostly and Facebook ads, Instagram ads. And, uh, yeah, I had the opportunity, got, um, introduction with, with Google composites through a good friend, John Corey. And, uh, you know, I thought it was going to be maybe just kind of like an ads account where we'd help them with their ads, but really what they needed was someone to kind of manage the whole brand. And I was able to kind of get what is a dream opportunity for me to become a, the brand manager for Google composites. They're specializing in carbon wheels and most notably uh, G1 uh, composite spoke. And we make the, they make, we make, they were making when I, when I was like, you know, starting to talk to, to David and, and the crew over at Kier manufacturing, who is the parent company okay. of Gulo. We make the spoke in house. So they're actually producing the spokes just down the road. Oh, and that's what makes our wheels so different than all the other carbon race wheels or high end wheel out there is that we've got a, you know, a, a unique blend of composites that nobody else has. And that's why our spokes can actually be way stronger than stainless steel spokes and almost half the weight. That's a big difference. And the ride quality is like, it's, it's crazy. Like you don't even like, obviously the weight and the strength is huge. Lateral stiffness is critical, but the compliance that you feel when you ride over rough roads is, Mm -hmm. is I never felt a wheel like that before. And it's, it's really fun to kind of help build a brand like Gulo with a product like Gulo because it's just, it's a winner in my experience on the bike. It's just, it's really fun to, to be able to like, you know, take a set of wheels out and test them as my job. Right. Kind of, kind of feels like, a bit of pro cycling going on, but I could do a lot more computer work now. <laughs> Did you do much product testing or anything like that prior when you were a pro cyclist? Yeah, we, we would, we, I did not do too much prototype testing, but we did a lot of feedback and we were, we were always, you know, given feedback forms and trying to get a lot, a lot of tire testing. I, we had, I had a good relationship with Maxis tires and we gave them a lot of feedback and a lot of the other like wheel companies and, and frame companies, like they're not changing their stuff that much every year. If you look, yeah. if you think about it. So our feedback wasn't, might not have been looking for it. 
mm-hmm. that in depth. I mean, I think every company is always trying to get the feedback, but like I've seen it so many times where, you know, by the end of my career, I've been racing for, you know, over a decade and I, I would race on a lot of the same components, right? Like each team has different sponsors, but sometimes they, they line they, up. They overlap. Yeah. And you see the same, like we can tell company a, Hey, you know, you've got to work on this. This is an issue. Like, can you fix this? Cause for whatever reason, it wasn't good for us as racers. And then five years later, the same exact problem. So you can just see the bigger companies, like when they, there's a known issue and they're just like, well, we'll just handle it on a case by case basis, I yeah. guess. So it's nice to be on this side of it where, you know, if our sponsored athletes bring us problems, I can actually like push to fix it and innovate and make yeah. it better. So it's, it's really fun. Like I, I'm really excited to continue to grow this brand. Yeah. From you being on their side and knowing what you needed as a, a rider mm-hmm. and now you're on the company side, knowing what riders need. Mm-hmm. I can see that being very beneficial for the riders and the brand. Yeah. And also like, you know, I, I because I was on the, the rider side for so long, I think it's a little bit easier for me to kind of like lean on our ambassadors to kind of create, create the right kind of content for us. Because I, I also know what, what they, they can, what they're capable of doing. And, you know, like my ambassador program is, is pretty tight. Like I know them all really well and have a good relationship with everybody. We've had, we've had two ambassadors in the wheelhouse today. Not that their wheels are always needing service, but we're always here to like keep them tuned and make sure they're, they're rolling as smooth as possible. Oh yeah, for sure. So talk to me about the wheels. Got a good looking hub. You've got some badass looking spokes and a good looking rim. So talk to me about how, how the wheels built up. Yeah. So our, our wheel systems, it's important to note that our spokes are designed for our hubs and our rims, custom design, custom rim, custom hub. We're not making spokes for other hubs or other rims. So it's a system yeah. with our spoke. So we don't sell the spokes, right? So that's, that's uh we can be clear about that at this point. Our rims and hubs are custom built for the most straight. The, the spokes are basically like as straight as possible from mm-hmm. the rim to the hub. There's no, there's no, there's no real bend to them. They're like perfectly straight and that helps add, add strength. Our, there's a two mil offset on most of our wheel sets from spoke to spoke. And each spoke weighs about 2.9 grams. So our wheel sets typically come in at about 12 to 1300 grams which is among the lightest wheels on the market. That's pretty impressive. Uh, looking at the wheel here, this is a front wheel that I'm messing with. Yeah, you're looking at a GRD 46. Okay. Is the, I see threading into the hub, mm-hmm. but it also looks like I may see threading into the rim. Yep, so the, our, our spoke ferrules thread into the hub, mm-hmm. and they are, uh, we Loctite those on. Okay. And then we have an actual nipple that's in the rim, so it's an internal nipple. Okay. And that's the gold ferrule you see is it acts as a, uh, imagine like a bladed, a bladed spoke. So you hold that ferrule hold the still ferrule. and then come out, come out with a, a nipple wrench through the rim Okay. and tighten the spoke that way or tighten the nipple that way. Yeah. Nice. Super easy to service. Any, any shop or dealer can do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just, you know, we just try to make sure we don't confuse the ferrule as a, as a nipple. And yeah. try, if you, if you, if you were to try to turn the ferrule, it would compromise a spoke because you, yeah. you would never want to like do like put that kind of tension on a yeah. carbon wanna, spoke. So that's probably what a lot of people assume when they see this is that there's some twisting of the carbon spoke, but that is incorrect. Right. The twisting comes from the rim side mm-hmm. onto an, onto the internal nipple. Yep. 
and it gives a clean look because you don't yeah. you don't see the nipple. Yeah. And that's a 21 mil internal rim width, which is on the wider side for road wheels for sure. Yeah, it is hooked. It's a hooked rim, so you can run high yeah. pressure with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll see on our mountain bike side, they're hookless, and they get wider obviously on the mountain bike. Yeah. So talk to me about what are the, some of the specs on your mountain bike wheels. Yeah. So we we have three sets, three different models of mountain bike wheels. We've got a to put it simply, we've got a cross country, a down country, and an enduro okay. wheel set. The cross country wheels, they all use the same hub. Cross country wheels is a 25 mil internal rim width, uh, ultralight rim. Those weigh uh, under 1300 grams for those, about 1290, I believe, is what they they weigh in at. Um, the down country is just a bit beefier, wider rim, 27 mil. It's a okay. GMD 27, and then we have an enduro, which is a 30 30 mil internal rim width, GME 30 is what we will be named those. Mm-hmm. They're, they ride great. Um, there's a lot going on on a mountain bike in terms of suspension, big tires. So it's a it's a different different animal than for to actually feel the the spokes. You get all the benefit from it, but mountain bikes tend to there's a lot going on. So yeah. it's a it's a harder control test. Hardtails really feel a difference. Okay. Because um, you can you know you get that you're getting the vibration absorption on on your full suspension or your enduro bike. And you're getting all the benefits of the of the stiffer spoke. It, it's just a, it's harder on the mountain bike side to really like to get that wow effect that when you put these wheels on a gravel bike, you can like feel it right away with the rigid. Like yeah. The, you know the tires are you run lower pressure, but there's no shocks. You know it's mm-hmm. there's smaller tires, so really the vibration uh, absorption is is much more uh, magnified. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how is it developing a new product in Pisgah National Forest? It's really easy for us to test because we can go out and, and ride Pilot Rock or Bennett or, or you know, all these awesome trails we have. And, and we're, we're able to put this stuff to like the ultimate test. If it can survive here, it can survive anywhere. And it's also nice that we don't have to travel to great lengths to, to kind of get out there and beat these things up. Yeah. It's really, really awesome to be able to uh, take a product like we have and go out there and the, these super light carbon spokes that, you know, you would probably not typically see out in Pisgah because most people just want to go out there and jump big, big rocks and, you know, kind of go, go big. Yeah. So it's cool to take a wheel like this out there and actually see them like not just ride so much more efficiently because they're so much lighter and you, like we have big climbs. Like if you want to go ride pilot, you got to climb Laurel mountain. Yeah. And so any, any advantage we can get to get to the fun part is huge, right? Of course. You can't ride an e-bike really out there. No. So this is kind of like a little bit of your your way to like get up there with a little less mm-hmm. less energy. Not just that we get to test on these trails here, but that we get to take these wheels out and actually have fun on them. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine a better job in this area, yeah. <laughs> especially as a you know a, I'm calling myself a mountain biker now. I'm back to being a mountain biker and a gravel rider. Good to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, it, Pisgah is rough on bikes, especially wheels. It's rough on spokes too. And that was my next thing is Pisgah is especially rough on spokes. And in my experience, what usually happens is I'm going down a trail and basically my tire hits a rock and it flips around and then hits my spoke. Yep. That's been my experience of usually how I break spokes. And it's usually like an inch and a half or so up my spoke is usually like if I go look at my bike right now, I know there's at least three spokes that have like good dents in them mm-hmm. or bends in them from from rocks hitting them so originally when i saw the gula wheels you know like 
sometime last year or something, whenever mm-hmm. you guys, when they first started floating around, someone Tim Haggerty's bike. Uh, that was my first concern was, how are these spokes going to handle, you know, because traditionally carbon is not good at taking impacts mm-hmm. on, on sharp objects. So I was like, how are these spokes going to handle like sharp impacts from, you know, rock, rocks flipping up? Yeah, so uh, we, we built an impact tower. Mm-hmm. And what that is, is dropping this uh, this five pound weight about 16 inches above the spoke. Yeah. So we had fixed the spoke. And what, when we test these our spokes, we put in a, a G1 composite spoke. And then right next to it, we put in a, a straight gauge stainless steel spoke. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the main, before we went to the trail, this was one of the main tests that we were running to really prove this spoke is stronger and lighter than stainless steel spoke. So you can see the G1 spoke can take, I don't know if our listeners want to hear this impact test or not, but essentially one drop of this weight on our G1 spoke, boof, handles it fine, no problem. You drop it on the on the stainless steel spoke and you can see it's just mangled. Wow. I mean, mangler. Yeah. <laughs> mangler, it's mangled, okay? Like one hit of this weight and it's, it's uh, unusable practically. And our spokes can handle repeated hits like that. So you do actually wind up getting uh, superior impact resistance with our spokes. It blew me away too when I first saw it. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is crazy. Let's see how they ride. And I got on them and rode them and I was like, oh, we're on, we're on something big here. Yeah. This is incredible. Not just that they like. That's everyone's main concern. It's like, rocks are gonna destroy those spokes. Yep. And you know, listening to you tell me about this impact test, I mean, I almost wanna go like, do you guys have a video of it? Yeah, we have, we have it on our, um, on our YouTube channel. Okay, cool. Yeah, yep. that'd yep. be cool we to can, see. Yeah, we can put a link out there on that. Yep, I'll, I'll just put a link on that in the show notes so people can kind of. And easily... what is cool is that in all of our testing, even with a spoke failure, which we don't really see them, even with a spoke failure, the wheels still stay straight. So, Ooh. and they don't typically go like flying around, like wrapping around. Like you know how when you break a spoke, it'll like wrap around your, it'll like be hitting your seat stay and your chain stay and make all that commotion. Yeah. Any issue we've ever had, we have found the the broken spoke like after the fact like you get home from the ride and you're washing your bike and you find like you know there's a spoke that's like either if it's detentioned or if it's like broken there's an issue with it mm-hmm. the wheel's still straight enough to ride oh so you you can always it's kind of like a run flat you can always get off the trail yeah so it's like not almost a non-issue okay and then we do cover our wheels for life lifetime warranty on on the spokes no matter what unlimited lifetime warranty on the spokes if it's ever an issue we'll we, we fix it for free. So here's another question that, that, I, that popped into my head this past week while thinking about this is, let's say I'm on the other side of the country and I break a spoke. Mm-hmm. What, are, what are my options? Well, we can, there's, there's multiple options that, uh, that I would offer you. Okay. One, I can send you the spoke. Okay. I can get you the spoke and, and walk you through the process of, of putting the spoke back in. And that'll get you back going. Okay. It's not that hard of a, there's not that many nuances to building these wheels. You just got to put a little bit of a thread lock on the hub side, and mm-hmm. then you just got to get the spoke back up to tension. Okay. Anyone that can true a wheel can, can replace the spoke. Okay. Or we can send it to a, a dealer, whatever your closest dealer, mm-hmm. and do the same thing with them, walk them through the process. It's very straightforward. I'd say the third option would be you could send the wheels back to us and we would do it for free. Okay. But obviously if you're on a trip, that's the last thing you really want to deal with. So yeah. my, my, my first, uh, go to would be to, to get, get you the new spoke mm-hmm. immediately and have you just be able to either do it yourself or take it to a dealer. 
do you guys include a spoke when you buy a set of wheels? Uh, we can. Yeah. Yeah, we can. Yeah, that's that's one of the uh, the toughest hurdles is just kind of if if by chance you do have an issue getting something to you quickly and then having dealers where they're not not ready to they've never seen our wheels so yeah we have to step in and like make sure we can act as fast as possible and mm-hmm. kind of keep keep you happy but that's the price of innovation sometimes is when you're when you're pushing the limits on things you you have to understand that there's going to be challenges in in some direction yeah and on the other side and the, the flip side of that is how hard it is to find you know so many parts for bikes or even even bikes these days right now yeah you know like the how much the the supply has been just squeezed and mm-hmm. it's like you know just to find you know whether it's a cassette or chain ring or whatever bike part you're you Break need pads. Pad, i mean i don't even know like it's crazy like i'm not surprised by any kind of shortage shortages now mm-hmm. how are you guys doing on supply i was gonna say we do have wheels in stock okay. um we're in a good position with our our manufacturing and uh our our supply chain has been fine um and we're able to get get our hubs and, and rims and you know our spokes are yeah we're ready to go on spokes so you're made right here in town we get to capitalize we're we're ready to ship we're shipping every day and we do free shipping on all of our orders and we're yet to have a customer who's not stoked with us um, we try to always take care of our customers beyond uh, beyond the ordinary customer service because we know that you know they're they're coming into new new technology and innovation and I mean I don't see it as a risk because I know how good the wheels ride but you know if if a customer is going to drop a lot of money on wheels and they want to ride the latest and greatest they're you know they're kind of out on the limb and we're we're going to make sure they're happy. If a rider wanted to test or demo a wheel, is that something you guys have as an option? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I kind of do it on a case by case basis. I don't have a whole slew of wheels to, to mm-hmm. send out, but if a customer is interested in the wheels and they just want to try them, like, yeah, I'm going to get you on a set of wheels. Yeah. That's easy. Like I, I get it. Like you, you kind of need to ride these wheels to really understand the benefit of the carbon spoke. Otherwise, if all you see is like the weight or, you know, the, like if you're you, just looking you, at the specs, the paper specs, the paper specs are, and they look good too. They're attractive. You know, they're, they, uh, the weight is super light, but really once you ride the, ride the wheels and you, you feel the spokes in action. Yeah. That's the, the true selling point. A super light wheel set for, to me as a big guy, I um, mean, as a road racer, I was one of the biggest racers, you know, I was always one of the biggest guys on my team. I would just think these things can't handle me. <laughs> I think, you know, 1200 grams like there's no way i'm gonna sprint on that right yeah but these wheels don't flex nearly as bad as some wheels that weigh you know 600 grams more than these mm-hmm. they're stiffer it's stiffer than stainless steel and the ladder laterally so we talk about like absorbing impacts but they're also like you don't get that like rim uh i call it like rim sway when you like stand up where, oh, yeah. and the rims always like kind of moving it doesn't happen nearly as much as like every other wheel i've ever ridden so it's a cool feather in my hat because I'm a big guy. Like I'm not your, I'm not like a, a weight weenie climber who can just ride, you know, whatever's the lightest. Yeah. Um, you kind of have to like pick and choose your parts. Yeah. And you would, you, you know, you can, you can save weight in a lot of places and people, you really want to do it with your wheels. That's where you get the biggest bang for your buck, but you also want to be stiff. Yeah. And so we kind of have both sides of that mm-hmm. is our wheels are really, really stiff, but they're also I mean, in, in my opinion, like the weight is like kind of secondary because I'm not, like, my bike can be half pound 
heavier and doesn't change, you know, the overall weight that much. Yeah. But you really, yeah, you really do win with, with these because it's crazy the difference. So what's kind of the future hold for, for Gula? Well, you know, uh, our parent companies, they do a lot of composites and ceramics. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've got, a we've got a few ideas in the pipeline about some other composite components that we can make. We've got new gravel wheels in the pipeline as well. We've got two new, uh, models of gravel wheels that are going to be coming out, mm-hmm. um, this summer kind of in conjunction with our, uh, partnership with the Belgian waffle ride. Oh yeah. We're, we're sponsoring that at the, the North Carolina event, the Asheville event. So nice. Gula will be sponsoring that and we'll be, uh, also hosting a survival camp the whole week before the race, the, the, the BWR race on Saturday. Is it Asheville proper or is it like, no, we're outside of Asheville. Okay. Um, we're mostly, uh, Henderson and Transylvania County. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be legit. Yeah. It's going to be a crazy event. So when you say Transylvania and, and Henderson County gravel roads, like that's some saucy stuff. Yeah. I mean, where you live, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. So it, it's, uh, and it, it's always changing. Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. you get one rainstorm, the, the, the roads completely change. Yeah. I mean, the road we ride today is going to be totally different in August. Yeah. Cause as you know, we're in a temperate rainforest and, mm-hmm. Oh, we get some rain. Oh yeah. So what's the best place for people to keep up with what you guys have going on? So we do have a YouTube channel. Um, okay. so we're on YouTube, um, or Instagram, Facebook, our website. We have, a, um, we're active with our journal. So we do a lot of, uh, you know, we got, we got some trail trail reviews, a lot of comparisons, a lot of informative posts and a lot of, uh, technology bits. So our website's got a lot of that stuff and we're, we're refreshing it, um, almost weekly at this point. Okay, good. And, um, I think a lot of companies have kind of overlooked the, the blog style, you know, keeping revolving content going up on a website. So it's cool to see that still going. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the biggest things that I was am learning with the digital marketing side is that, you know, creating relevant content is the most important thing your business could do mm-hmm. and understanding that, you know, your relevant content from six months ago or a year ago might not be relevant this week or next week. Yeah. So you kind of, it's, that's the whole game mm-hmm. is making sure that you give, you know, your readers, your followers, something they, that they can engage with and yeah. they want to read. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one of the, my main objectives with Gulo is just to kind of like put the fresh content in front of our readers, in front of our, our customers and in front of our hopefully prospective customers. Yeah. So that's, and that's not easy to do. Like it's, it's easy to say, but it's not easy to do Yeah, because you have to stay ahead of everything. But you know, I, I do, I really love riding bikes. And for me, this is kind of a dream job because I get to kind of help build this brand, turn it into the big company that it, it's, it very well should be. Yeah. And now you can be mountain bike John now. And now I can go back to my roots. No pun intended. <laughs> Just not wet roots. I don't need to ride in the rain anymore. I think I've done enough of that. <laughs> oh yeah i think we all have well dude awesome thanks so much for your time it's a pleasure hanging out here at the at the wheelhouse and catching up with you yeah thanks for uh reaching out and wanting to do this and mm-hmm. this is great i'm stoked awesome wow it's nice to see another wheel company pushing technology here out in western north carolina Yeah, of course, we've got Industry 9 doing rad stuff with bike wheels. And I'm not sure if a lot of listeners know this, but Cane Creek used to make wheels. 
They did indeed. I've got an old 26-inch set on a uh, beach cruiser that's collecting dust down in my shed, and I've uh, got a set on my fixie that's also been collecting dust for about 11 years down in my shed. Yeah, you've got a little, uh, some Western North Carolina history there, a little museum building up in your shed. Yeah, stay here long enough, you'll start collecting parts too. Yeah. Well, for this week's weather report, uh, the week looks great, sunny, high in the mid-80s. We've got a slight chance of rain coming in on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Hey, good dirt days ahead. We got some moisture in the dirt finally. Aside from that, you know, we got lower temperatures than we're going to see in about a month from now. So enjoy it while it lasts. Yeah, and it's kind of nice to have like these three to six day windows of dryness and then a little bit of moisture coming in because once you get past that, some of the trails get a little extra too dry. Yeah, you're right about that. Well, guys, that is a wrap on this week's episode. And as always, you can find us on the social medias. Just search Pisgah Podcast. And we've still got shirts for sale with five bucks going to Pisgah Area Sorba. Just hit up pisgahpodcast.bigcartel.com. Right on. And if you can feel a 2 PSI difference in a 700 by 45 millimeter gravel bike tire, then click subscribe, share with all your friends, and give us a rating. I think I have a hard time telling my PSI difference in my head. Well, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about